All right, well, good morning, Gate City family. We are going to have a living room conversation as the sixth part of our Church and Culture series, and I got to preach the first five of these messages, an introduction, and then we had a conversation around race, sexuality, materialism, politics, and then last week, Ash did an outstanding job bringing up a conversation on the sanctity of life. Thank you very much. I would be lost without my notes. And so today, we are going to actually take a moment, and I'm going to do a brief review, and then I'm going to moderate a conversation that's going to give us an opportunity to hear from the entirety of our leadership team. And I'll take a moment and introduce each of these folks, if you're new here especially, just so you guys know who you're hearing from today. And we're going to have a conversation on two of the topics that we mentioned. So we'll discuss two this week. We'll discuss three next week. And we figure we only need about 25 minutes for each of these topics, right? Race and sexuality. We're going to be able to unpack that in its entirety today. Many of you are chuckling because you realize that's probably not likely. But what we will be able to do, though we may not be able to discuss it in its entirety, we will be able to hear from several of our key leaders and be able to unpack some of their thoughts on what we have been sharing on as a leadership team and as a spiritual family. And really, this is a glimpse into what we do each and every week on Thursdays. We convene at about 1230, our preaching and teaching team, which is uh, those that are seated up here. Son is not typically in it. My wife, this is Hannah, is not typically in it, but we were all a part of it this past week as we prepared for this this conversation this Sunday. And what we'll do is we'll discuss the upcoming message and we'll debrief the previous week. And so I mentioned that because I want everyone to understand that what we've been preaching and teaching has not been simply a reflection of my point of view or Ash's point of view, but the entirety of the teaching team and the leadership of our spiritual family. And so today, again, we're going to talk about these issues of identity. Why, thank you. Blessed are you. May you receive a prophet's reward for bringing us some water. Or I guess a I don't know. I, don't, I didn't mean to just call myself a prophet. That's, <laughs> may you receive a preacher's reward for uh, a righteous man, for bringing a righteous man a, a, a bottle of water. Okay. Oh, still coming? All right. Great. We, I think we're a little discombobulated from like spontaneous baptism planning, but we still feel good about that. So, And you know, sometimes church just gets a little too programmed, right? And so we just, we want to make room for the Lord today and make, by make room for the Lord, I mean, forget things and then uh, try and make up for it quickly and blame it on the Lord. So, so great. I, I do want to do the introduction. Every single week we've done a brief introduction. I'm going to scoot my chair a little bit so I can look at everybody's beautiful face. Oh, goodness. Okay. And again, I'll just briefly introduce, we have Rolando who's our youth pastor and pastor of experience. Hmm? I'm blocking out all you people. My wife said I got to turn back. Okay, just do what she says. Um, I think there's a proverb or something about that. We're biblical in this place. So Rolando's our youth pastor as well as our pastor of experience, helping coordinate the overall experience of our services. Ash is our pastor of community life. Dustin's our lead pastor. Sunbird is on staff with us, a worship leader, leading worship on Sundays and in our prayer room. He obviously has the largest fan base here, (laughs) and that's because he is awesome. And of course, my wife, who serves as our HR director, and and everyone has played, whether it's doing our invocation, uh, son shared a powerful testimony. Rolando, Ash, Hannah, when we did the topic on race, they did our discussion question and modeled that for us, and so everyone has contributed in a different way to the services over the past few weeks, and so we're kind of bringing everybody together today to continue the conversation. And something we've said every week is we wanted to define our approach, right? And there were four things that we were for. We were for the equipping of the church as disciples. We were for walking out kingdom values. We were for actively pursuing unity within the body. And above all else, we are for, as a church, purity of devotion to Jesus. So we want to be defined by what we're for, not just the things we stand against as we have these topics around complex cultural issues. And so there are a few pitfalls that I've mentioned each week. Wonder if anyone, pop quiz, if you've been paying attention. Does anyone know the top five? Hey, all right, oversimplification, offense. There's a tendency to avoid things that are complex or difficult, but we're going right at it as a leadership team. Fear and anger. And one of the key things that we've said over and over again that helps inoculate and avoid those pitfalls is when we cultivate a heart of compassion and empathy. 
And so part of defining the solution is every week as we've preached on a different cultural problem, we've also talked about the knowledge of God as it relates to that problem. And there's an A.W. Tozier quote. It's in a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And I love this quote. I feel like it plumb lines our approach that all the problems of heaven and earth, though they were to confront us together all at once, they would be nothing compared to the overwhelming problem of God. That he is what he is like and what we as moral beings must do about him. And so in each message, we've talked about a different aspect of who God is and why these cultural issues are relevant to the knowledge of who he is and how he wants us to conduct himself as he wants us to conduct ourselves as representatives of him in the earth. So on the subject of race, we talked about who God was as a creator who made us in his image. On the subject of gender and sexuality, we talked about a God who wants to be known as a bridegroom and created marriage as an institution to reflect the knowledge of who he is within the earth. And then on the subject of politics, we talked about who he was as a king who is bringing a kingdom and how when we have that knowledge, it helps us respond appropriately in this political space. On the issue of materialism, we talked about how an approach to generosity rather than consumption is uh, motivated when we consider Jesus as a judge who will reward us for every act of obedience. And then Ash did an amazing job last week. I haven't listened to the message yet, but from all the feedback that I've heard, conveying the importance of knowing God as a father as it relates to issues of the sanctity of life. And so that's the journey that we've been on. And I wanna just take a moment right now as we transition, I wanna pray and ask the Lord to bless our conversation and then we're gonna jump right in with our first question. We're gonna spend about half the time on issues of race and then half the time on issues of sexuality. So if you would just pray with me and we'll transition to our conversation. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would give us an abundance of grace and revelation during this time. We pray, Father, that you would allow us to speak with one heart and one mind concerning what you would want to say to Gate City Church. We ask even for a spirit of prophecy, Lord, that we would speak to people's hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And every person that needs to be ministered to in some unique way today would receive from you, God, exactly what you have for them. So release light, release revelation. We open our hearts to hear from you through one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good. So Dustin, I actually wanted to open with a, a, a question for you. When we did our panel on race, we had a very specific question that we took some time to answer. And because of your bout with the old uh, COVID-19, you were not able to be a part of that panel discussion. And in some ways, you know, though we got to hear from Rolanda, who comes from a Hispanic background, Ash, who's obviously African-American, and myself, who's a younger Caucasian, not too much younger, but a little bit younger Caucasian. Um, He's just trying to say old guy. You are an old white guy. That's what I'm trying to get at. And just go and say it. I can handle it. And we want to give some space because there are some older white guys in the room to have that perspective represented on this question, which is the subject of, which was the question, what did your parents, your grandparents teach you about race, other races, and your own race as a Caucasian, and then what do you want to pass on in the next generation? And you even expressed to me after watching the video, you said, I'd love to come back to that question, have an opportunity to answer it, so we want to open with that to you today. Yes, when I heard the opportunity, I was, I was thankful for that. Um, I'm not sure how many of you in the room would fall into my particular demographic, so either you're going to relate to this or you're going to learn from this. So I am 50 years old. I know that's shocking um, when you look at me, but just want to go ahead and let you know. I'm uh, 50 years old. I obviously live inside a grand delusion somewhere. But I am 50 years old, uh, was raised in the South, and um, my mom and dad, I will start with them. They were really great because I never experienced any sort of racial thing from them um, at all. They were great. They loved people of different colors. Super. However, I was raised with my grandmother and my great-grandmother, and dad will remember this, who's on the, who's on the front row. They, that's not your brother? I thought that no, that's not my brother. brother. That's my dad. <laughs> make sure we get that straight. But it does make him feel really good. It makes me feel really bad when we get called brothers. But we were, um, so they were in our house with us 
pretty much from when I was maybe second grade on. And both my great-grandmother and my grandmother, they grew up in the South as well and had extremely negative views on African-Americans in particular. So I was always hearing those kind of comments and those kind of slurs. Uh, There were a couple of sitcoms, just to illustrate this point, that were very popular during that time. Some of you might remember. One was called the Jeffersons, if you recall. Remember the Jeffersons? They were moving on up to a high-rise apartment in the, in the sky. And uh, you remember that? You remember that? How many remember the Jeffersons? Anybody? Oh, praise God, the Jeffersons. And my, my great-grandmother just really despised that show. And I remember when it would come on, she would get so angry, my great-grandmother. And if you remember, the Jeffersons had a, had, um, a family that lived next door they were the Willets. Remember the Willets? And they were a biracial couple. And when my great-grandmother saw this come on, I mean, she flew into fits of rage. She would go to the phone book. She would look up. It was, um, I think it was Channel 5 in Atlanta. And she would, like, call them up and just cuss them out for, for showing these TV shows. I mean, it's, it's you know, laughable now, but that was, that was her heart posture as it relates to African-Americans. So I, and I'm just giving you like one little story that's pretty much emblematic of just my entire childhood growing up around that attitude. Now for me, um, I, I had something deep in me that was racism, I guess you could say, that, that wasn't so overt. I had black friends, we got along really well, but there was something in me that I absorbed from being in that environment that I was unaware of. And let me just explain to you what I'm talking about. There was a girl in late middle school, early high school, and she was an African-American girl. I wanted to date this girl. I mean, we were good friends. I was relatively attracted to her. I, I think she was me, I hope, you know, back in the day. And I mean, we were really was, and I wanted to ask her to a dance, but I, but I couldn't. Not because I wasn't being allowed to, but there was something in me that said, no, that's just not right. I'm not supposed to do that. Now, if you had asked me back then, you know, why, I could not have articulated a clear answer. But I just knew it was somehow wrong and it shouldn't be. So sometimes racism can look different ways for different people. But that had absorbed deep inside of me. A little before that time, one other quick story to illustrate my point, I went on a mission trip to Brazil when I was 13 years old, and when um, I was picked up from the airport, our van driver was a guy named Demas, and he was an African-American brother, I mean, a very deep, like, islander black, too, really, really deep black guy. So we're kind of hitting it off in the car, talking, he spoke pretty good English. He had to go back to his house to pick up something, so I was just with him. So we got to his house, we walked in the apartment, and he wanted me to meet his wife. Now his wife was a, a white redhead. As you know, black as he was black, she was white, right? And I remember as a 13-year-old boy looking at that situation thinking, because I had never seen something like that before outside of watching the Jeffersons on TV, I had never seen a black person married to a white person. And I remember my worldview as a a child was really like, oh my goodness, how can this be right? And I remember asking Demas, I said, so we, you know, we got back in the van, we're going back to the mission base. And I said, hey man, so what's up with that? And he looked at me and said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, what's up with that? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And finally on the third time I said, dude, I mean, you're, you're black and she's white. And he looked at me and he had no frame of reference for what I was talking about. He didn't even understand the question. It was so normative for him and the culture in which he lived in. And I remember in that moment, that's when for me, something was exposed. I had things that were unhealthy in my heart as it related to African-Americans specifically that need to be worked out. And, and over time, the Lord would help me to understand that. I was able to repent of it, and then things have changed completely inside of me. So when you, when you come up in the South, everybody is not necessarily running around wearing a white you know, hat and white robe stuff, right? You know, sometimes for us in the South, these things can be so deeply 
embedded in our hearts and they're influencing us in ways we might not necessarily be aware of. But when we ask the Holy Spirit, he will show us those things. So as far as I'm concerned, I want my children not to have absorbed anything in our home so good. as it relates to anything of race. And we did a little temperature check one time with our son, Matthew. Um, we were living in a neighborhood and he had a friend right down the street that was a little um, African-American kid. And he was probably maybe, you know, seven or eight at the, at the time. And, you know, one day I thought, I'm going to check Matthew. And I'm going to pretend not to know who that kid is. Because he's just seven or eight. He wouldn't believe that. So, so Matthew, who have who, who, who you been playing with? And he gave the kid's name. And I said, I don't know who he is. Can you describe him to me? And he's like, yeah, he lives up the street in such and such house, and they drive a blue car or whatever. Yeah, but I just don't know who you're talking about. You know, he's about so, you know, such and such tall, and he always wears these funny shorts. And, and I ask him like five or six questions, not one time that he say, Dad, it's the black kid. It's the black kid. And that man did my heart so good to realize that that just wasn't in his thought process. I'm sure he knew he was black, but he did not see that in any kind of a negative way. So, man, I hope we've, we've basically raised our kids now. And I, I hope if we ask our kids, they would say, yeah, we were raised in an environment that was absence of racism. And that's my hope for our children. It's awesome. Thank you, Dustin, for sharing that. So in today's conversation, we'll have a little intro for each portion. Dustin just kind of did our intro on the topic of race. And then, Ash, we're going to kind of cover biblical points, practical points, and cultural points. And you had some comments you wanted to make on how we approach race from a biblical perspective and anything you wanted to respond to related to what Dustin shared as well. Yeah, I always love to start the conversation biblically about race by starting out to say that, you know, when God created Adam, that he created him from dirt, so therefore he was black. And, you know, when... You know, so when Eve, she came from a rib, what color do you think she was? Right? I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> so, um, I, I just appreciate the transparency of Dustin's um, answer and um, just respect the way that, you know, the things that we talk about um, personally together, that you're welcome to, br you're bringing that to the forefront of our conversation in a living room conversation with our spiritual family. So I deeply respect you for that. Um, so when we think about the topic of race biblically, the, what Dustin kind of alluded to is the fact that the way that we think about it today in America is really a new way of thinking about uh, skin tones and differences in skin colors. There are some inferences that you get um, biblically from it, but mostly you're looking at um, tribalism, and ethnic distinction when you look at the topic of race biblically. So it's not precisely what we would describe in America today in 2022 as race. What would you would see biblically is you would see one human race described across scripture. And then when you get to the New Testament and you see Jesus come on the scene, you see a new human race emerge by those who are found in Christ Jesus. So you have the old race that is found in Adam. You have the new race that is found within Jesus Christ. So um, that's the way that I would say that I would be the way that we would see it communicated biblically. And then you have the theological kind of distinction that comes from there. I was telling Hazen, I probably didn't want to address it theologically, but some things that Hannah said in our briefing before this really kind of brought out why this is important is when you think about it theologically, you think about what God is like. And God is uh, complex in his unity. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and you have this distinction between the Godhead, but you have no division or separation in between them. Yeah. So that distinction is beautiful, and it's something that we get to uh, stare in the mystery of. And the way that that breaks out is, uh, even in our human frame, we have bodies and we have spirits, and as First Thessalonians 5 would tell us, that we have a, a soul as well, too. So even in our human frames, there's complexity in our unity. And then when we would look at ourselves as a church, there's complexity in our unity as well, too. And that's meant to re-image who God is. So when we begin to talk about um, how we should understand these things biblically and theologically, it's based in the fact of what God is like, and he's put that in all of us to see the beauty of what he is like through looking at the church collectively together. So good, Ash. So a thought that I have even as you reflect that is just the idea of even the unity and love that exists amongst the team that's right here 
you know, representing the leadership of our, our church, that there is more that unites us in our spirits, though we have distinction that is reflective of the complexity of God. And that that's something that's beautiful. And one of the things that we mentioned in, in the message we taught is that that distinction doesn't go away in, in eternity. Could you speak about that just for a moment, that Revelation 7 reality? Yeah. So how in Revelation 7 you see these uh, people who emerge out of the tribulation and they end up before God's throne. And in the beauty of uh, them worshiping, um, John looks out and he says, who are these? And the angel speaks to him. And he says, they're um, the ones who came out from the tribulation from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And so God still acknowledges the beauty of that diversity, even heading into the next age. And it's actually put on display to see that God actually loves the diversity and the distinction that he put inside of us and our skin tones and our colors and our languages and our culture. And that's something that we get to appreciate as we look to move forward to his coming and his return. I love the mirror image of that is Revelation 19, where it says, we are all clothed in white robes that are righteous acts of the saints. And so I love the idea that it's many skin tones, languages, people, but we're all in one wedding garment. And that's what it's going to be like, one bride, many nations. Awesome. So going to Rolando, Rolando wanted to share. Did you have something you want to share? Okay. She was giving me a look at one moment, and I know that look, so, but I was mistaken. Um, and so, Rolando, you had a, a practical experience recently. You're going to share something real vulnerable with us yeah. of a confrontation that involved some real hurtful, a real hurtful experience, but then also a way God redeemed that through your fellowship here at the church. Yeah. Um, let me start off by saying, Dustin, I've, I've never heard your story in detail. and I've gotten to know Dustin deeply um, probably over the last year and a half, and nothing that you said has ever spilled into our relationship. And so I'm so grateful for your relationship. I'm so grateful that you love my family and you've made efforts to connect with them and, and leave me out of the picture. <laughs> I really do appreciate you, brother. Love you. Um, and even when you said fellowship, you know, I just love this church. I mean, um, Dustin's son and his team put this whole thing together up front. There's people right now being talked to about water baptism at the last minute, all because there's strength in fellowship beyond what we can think of. So uh, I got a chance to share here a couple of months ago on the topic of race, and I shared briefly about my personal journey and where I grew up. And to give simple 30-second context, I grew up in a part of town called South Forsyth, which was uh, the capital of the KKK in the mid-'80s. And so as they're leaving that part of town, my little Hispanic family, my five-year-old self, went into that town not understanding that whole thing. And so I had a front row look at um, just real intense racism. And by the grace of God and his mercy, he's done a, a, a rich work in me and in my mind and in my body uh, to truly have a love for John 17 that God calls us to oneness. But I also feel that you look back and why does these things happen? And sometimes because God is preparing you for things, or there's an assignment on your life that the Lord is wanting you to uh, chisel out as you become more mature in God. And for me, it just happens to be this area of race where in my young 20s and 30s, it wasn't a key message, but it seems that I'm constantly being put in a position to have to address it, not necessarily from a pulpit, but even in my own personal life. So um, not too long ago, I was with my family to uh, take a, a family joy, joyous trip. And uh, my kids, I have, I have grace for those of you that have little kids. Mine are teenagers now. So uh, my trips are fun. You know, I don't have to stop at the bathroom and they're hitting each other and all that. I'm past that. You know, we're not having to talk about the mercy of God anymore. <laughs> have mercy on each other. Uh, and so it's, they, we have conversations. We're in the car. And, and so... We drive, we're driving about five and a half hours, and we stop to get gas. And my wife, um, I pump gas. She goes inside of the convenience store to uh, uh, get some snacks. As soon as I fill up the gas, I pull out of the pump to go park in front of the uh, convenience store. And there's a parking spot that's open, and before I pull in there, I notice the car next to it put, its, put the vehicle in reverse. The red lights went on, and so I just, you know, being responsible drivers, wanted to wait for him to pull out. It seemed like in a driver's 
in a driver's world, a minute's a long time. So it could have been a minute, could have been less or more, but I felt long enough, I've waited long enough for this guy to pull out. And he didn't pull out. And my two teenagers are in the back, probably I think they're on their headsets or something. And so then I go in to pull into the parking spot. And when I went to go pull in the parking spot, the car begins to pull out. Just a total mishap on judgment. And uh, this, this car pulled halfway out and stopped the car and just honked. I get it. You know, he thinks it's my fault. I think it's his fault. You know, whatever. But then he doesn't take his hand off the horn. Just, just keeps it. And uh, because of my upbringing, I'm, I'm a bit of a protector. And so he has, he's not stopping. And I'm not going to leave my kids. They don't even know. Like, they don't even know what's going on. So I open the door and I said, I get it. I get it. Just like that. I get it. And he will not stop. He just rides that horn. And then... Um, those of you who are protectors, you know that little caveman thing that rises up inside of you. I wish I could say I bled Matthew 5, but um, I was like, you ain't going to stop. And I knocked on his car, just like, hey, stop. And I was like, you need to stop. And, of course, that sent him to another level. I could tell he was using some profanities and some creative ways that I couldn't understand. He lowers the window. He lowers the window, and his wife is, she's completely embarrassed as she's in the passenger. He lowers the window and spits out racial slurs at me right there. And I was already heated, and when he said that, I just shifted and got into a very, like, my protective belt went off, you know, through the roof. My kids, all they're seeing is their dad acting bizarre. They don't know what's happening. And when this guy yells this thing out, I just, like, well, then let's go. Let's go. I wish I was a better pastor, he said. Um, but I, I just got, like, what, I cannot believe this is happening, and I get into this and the man is going to open the door to come out, and, my, and his wife is, grabs him, pulls him in, seconds. I mean, not even two, three, just, and he just thinks about it, and he leaves. And when he leaves, he's angry about, he's just angry about some guy that he could have run into. But, I, but when he left, that word, those words, took me back to being five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old something my kids have never experienced. I go into the convenience store. My wife sees it. I'm visibly just in a different place. So the way I process things like this, the way I used to process things like this, is that it happened. I would pray about it, like just being logical. I would pray about this moment, and I would force myself to pray for this man and bless him. That's what I, that's what I would do alone. I would do that alone. My wife sees me, and I've been in a journey with these men up here, um, learning what it means to be completely open and vulnerable, which is not easy for a man. And um, I get into the car. My kids are making fun of me because they don't know what's going on. You what in the world? Like, what happened? And as we take off, I explained to what happened, and the atmosphere in the car changed. And I was fighting shame that this happened to me in front of my kids. Somebody attacked my identity in front of my children. They didn't hear it. My wife's in there. She enters into that place of anger with me. We become very protective, and, and we're just trying to process this situation. And um, this wasn't like five minutes. This is another 30, 40 minutes to our destination. We get to our hotel. We go upstairs, and I just sense the Holy Spirit say to me in certain terms, there's strength in fellowship. And um, I would have done this if I wasn't on a journey with Dustin and Hazen and, and Ash. And I got my phone out, and I texted these guys, and I said, I want to explain what happened, but, but here's real quick what took place. I need you to pray for me. And um, I'm opening my heart because I don't want to push this down again. I've done that for too long. I just hold it in. And all of these guys immediately, I felt like, I felt like if they were there, it would have been like that old uh, Outsiders book with all the leather jackets come in behind me, like... <laughs> If you want to go, we'll all go with you, you know. We'll get YouTube famous together. And um, as I was reading each person's comment, I was just, um, I was still very angry. Um, I was being tenderized now, my heart, by 
the words of grace, mercy, and just reality, just being, these guys being real with me. And uh, I, I think that it's important for a church to understand this message because we can't ignore that that's a real spirit that's out there. And for anyone that wants to submit to it, it will gla- it, the, the, the spirit of racism has no racism. It's not prejudice. It will be welcome to anybody it wants to come to. And I'm grateful for having brothers in that moment. One, a very, very hurtful, uh, painful moment in my heart um, that I went through and the strength in fellowship. And I think something that I was learning is that your fellowship fights for you. It was probably, and I'm just honestly trying to think, if, that's probably the first time I opened myself up about something painful and a group of men went to war for me prayed for me and in that hotel I said yeah because we need we need that and um, I I can tell you that I knew I would be okay if I would have kept to myself and prayed about it but there was something more freeing and more liberating taking something that was dark in my heart that happened to me and express it with this guy uh, with this team and it just again reaffirmed the fact the importance of the church uh, not being simple-minded in the in context of real racism that actually happens today, that there are people who are hurting and victimized by this that need a strong fellowship in Christ to help them. I remember when we got that, when I got that text, I, I felt sick to my stomach. Um, we genuinely took time to pray for you. And I think one of the ways that your story fits in terms of answering the question of practicality is because we've taken time to invest in real relationship, you know, it wasn't a superficial answer because I knew the context of why that was so painful for you. And you didn't need to include that and explain that in the moment because mm-hmm. we truly are on a real journey together. And I'm tearing up even just like as you describe the pain of that moment and feeling that and in that with you. Um, and what Rolando is talking about is emblematic of what we want to build as a church together uh, across racial lines, across generations as spiritual family. And so, Hannah, you had said you actually wanted to respond and talk a little bit about that cultural piece that I was just describing. How does Rolando's story and how we relate it, and Ash or Dustin, if you want to contribute anything, feel free to jump in, but how does that fit with who we want to be as a church? Yeah, first of all, Rolando, I just want to say thank you for naming your experience in front of all of us. And I know it's something that many in the people, many people in the room can identify with and have had similar experiences of. And even as you shared this story, I just felt this deep longing for that man just to know how worthy of respect you are and how incredible you are. And I just value the man that you are and wanted to share that with you. you. (laughs) So um, the thing that I'm struck by as I hear about how these people you're in fellowship with these men met you in your pain. Um, I think that is such an example of what we can do for one another in the context of our church community. And I think it starts with just open-hearted compassion. And what it feels like Ash and Dustin and Hazen did for you and that we can do for one another is to fully enter into the experience of those who are hurting And to do that, we have to lay down our judgments. We have to lay down our defensiveness. And we have to lay down our own thoughts about the experience. And we truly need to just enter in and listen, let our hearts be impacted by what our our brother or sister is sharing, and then respond in vulnerability out of it. And I think when pain is met with our own pain, when we're able to meet each other in those, in those places, there's really space for true healing. So that open-hearted compassion, I think, is a value that we want to carry culturally as the church. Well said. Thank yeah. you. Ash, you want to say something? Along with that, the, the you know, scripture that I think of is that love covers a multitude of sins. And with um, Rolando's experience, he had a legitimate opportunity to take on bitterness and offense himself. And um, he chose not to. And so that highlights the responsibility that we still have as Christians 
um, that even though these experiences may happen to us, how do we then um, bring that out, bring that out in love, and then choose to live it out in community because we are responsible to not let those same roots, even though something unjust just happened to us, take a root in us to where we wouldn't exemplify Christ. And now just the simple obedience of Rolando sharing now is an opportunity for us to all be taught together mm-hmm. and then possibly even some um, hearing this message who don't know Christ and the world is going to know us by how we love. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to highlight the beauty of just the simplicity of obedience to Christ by just opening up yourself in fellowship and the power that can come from that. And that wasn't something that we were expecting to try to produce and make happen. Only God can make that happen. But Rolando had to choose to step into uh, God's grace by applying his will to it. Amen. Do you want to share anything? How did you, how did you feel when you were, no, Ash specifically, how did you feel when you kind of came face to face with Rolando's situation? And then how did Ash's response impact you, Rolando? Um, I've, I've been working out a little bit lately, so I'm like, let's go practice. Let's, let's just use it for something. That's just, that's the intuition that came about in me. I'm just be straight up. So, you know, it's, it's, it, so it was hard. It was very difficult because Rolando is my brother. Um, you know, I, our spiritual family is so beautiful, but the experience of being able to run with Rolando pastorally has been something that I deeply cherish and I, and I value our relationship as a brother. So, you know, when your brother gets into a fight, sometimes you don't even ask like what happened. We'll talk about the rest of it later. And so that, that's what came out of me of like, yo, I, where you at? Let's, let's go. And, and to just, but then when I get the perspective of, what does Rolando really need right now? He needs me to love and he needs me to be a place where he can safely just express what he's just experienced. And I don't want to um, stoke the fire unnecessarily because I want to be a brother like Christ would be a brother. Let's just love and we'll weep with those who weep and we'll mourn with those who mourn. Now, we didn't go to town in that situation, okay? We're not advocating that as a response. But something Rolando said in, in hindsight was, he didn't need religious platitudes in that moment. And I don't know if you want to respond yeah, I, to that. You know, um, like. I debated on how to tell the story, you know, pastorize it or be real about it. Um, but I think to your point, like the, the initial, that initial response in me, um, if I was to see it, I go, well, you probably need to respond in love. You know, that's, that would be my, but when it happens to me, there's a visceral belief that I'm learning that, that has been inside of me that that's where I want the Holy Spirit to live. Because I don't want to respond like that. Like, I, I don't want to respond like that. That's not, that's not the word. But I was being real. But that did teach me, even in my own heart, that there's a, there's a deep gut level visceral belief that I want the Holy Spirit to work down there. Because Jesus did say more, more, like, very strong things towards Christians. Like He said, they will hate you. That's what he said, they will hate you because they first hated me. And so I don't want that response to be, even in those moments, I, I want to respond from the heart of Christ. So that even showed me something inside of me, deep in me, that I still need the, the Lord to work in. But again, I wanted to be honest on what my response actually was when it, when it first happened. Yeah, appreciate your honesty in that. Awesome. I think we should take a moment and actually pray uh, for anybody in the room who hears this story and goes, I've been in that moment before, um, and I did not have a fellowship to fight for me. Uh, And it's, you know, I'm confident enough looking around in this room and knowing enough people's stories that where Rolando goes, you know, I for, you know, 20 plus years in ministry and you never had a fellowship around you that you felt like was able to respond to your vulnerability appropriately. I'm sure that there are many people in this room that can relate, and, and what I wanna pray for is for any place where the people around you maybe have failed you in those moments, and you're receiving this conversation as a challenge to risk again, to actually open your heart to building real relationship across cultures, or it, you maybe have church hurt or, or church hurt with the compounding hurt of being discriminated against or treated differently because of your race. I just wanna pray that God would both give you the fellowship around you, that we would be the fellowship, around you as a church to let that healing process happen. 
And uh, all I just said was really good. I have no idea how to pray it. <laughs> I'll leave that to you guys. <laughs> but if that, if that fits, if what I just said fits with a, a place in your story, I want to just invite you to just raise your hand and say, hey, I'd like for somebody to pray for me for that today. Okay. I see one or two hands coming up. Anybody else? Just you feel like you haven't fit in. People haven't always responded to I you. I see you, brother. Okay. So would you just pray for those in the room? <sighs> Thank you for being honest. Holy Spirit, I'm asking for help before I start praying. Jesus, everything is for you. We were all made for you. And so we acknowledge our brokenness. I acknowledge my inability to look within myself and figure it out. I acknowledge that sometimes my past, I think, um, is where I need to live. And so, Jesus, I just pray for, for those of us who've been hurt, we find ourselves in a moment of weakness. I'm asking for a, a supernatural strength even now to you do the work in us. But as Hazen was saying, the, you're a jealous God. You want all of us. You want all of us together as well. So I'm asking that you would uh, make ways for a fellowship, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a spiritual family to come around us. And for this house or father, we know, we acknowledge, we don't have it all. We don't have all the answers, but we need help. Yes, God. So the place of healing can start with the place of realizing we need it. And so for those who've been victimized, for those who've been um, hurt, for those who are, I sense this, carrying the hurt, mm. I, hear, I just hear the Lord saying that you want that. You actually want our anxiety and our worry. and our, You want that because you can replace that with something much lighter. You can replace that with good. So, Father, for those who may be carrying hurt and pain, we just ask for a release of inner healing in their mind and their heart to understand the lifestyle you're actually calling us to live, to be wholehearted believers, wholehearted disciples in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Another miracle is happening this morning. We are running roughly on time in this conversation. So God is on the move. We're going to pivot now to taking the last 20 minutes of our conversation, unless you, any, anyone else has anything. Well, I just want to take a second pray for that gentleman and anyone else who may be on the other side of the Let's do it. conversation. And so, Dad, we just um, lift up the individual that uh, Rolando interacted with and others that... Um, have this stronghold of racism in their heart and their mind, Lord. And I pray that you would just break down that wall in their hearts the same way that you've broken down the wall in our hearts towards uh, how you see the beauty of your image that you placed inside of every human being. And so, Father, we just pray for him and we ask, Lord, that you would um, break in with your love and your kindness that leads to repentance, Lord. Even now, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity for us to be light and love to those who uh, don't understand, that are limited, that, are, that even do wrong things. We pray for them, Lord. Give us those opportunities so we can show what love is like. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, we're going to transition to the part of our conversation on sexuality, and so, son, you shared some of your testimony already, but for those who are here or maybe watching online who don't know any of your story, would you take a moment, introduce yourself, and just share a little bit about why we have you up here participating in this conversation today? Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? <laughs> uh, my name is Sun Bird. Um, I was identifying as gender fluid non-binary about 10 years ago and the Lord encountered me <laughs> and showed me that he had a plan and a purpose and who I was identifying as gender fluid non-binary that he had a plan and a purpose for me from the foundations of the world and he began to show me who I was meant to be and the man that I was meant to become and here I am today 10 years later <laughs> after that radical encounter with the Lord and even when the Lord encountered me, he didn't necessarily talk to me first thing about my sexuality. He told me that I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you and I love you and I call you my own. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily him exactly trying to change me, but obviously to bring a revelation of that, I that I'm loved and I belong and I belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so um, that was my journey. And so I've been on a journey of just 
be rebuilding my masculinity and what that looks like for me, because obviously you see I'm a little bit different. You know, I like to express myself how I like to express myself. Let's give me a unique fashion taste. And so I like to express that <laughs> and just be who I am, you know? And so that's where I am now. Just the Lord is rebuilding and molding me and shaping me into the man that he's called me to be. That's a little bit of my story. Thank you so much. Correct me if I'm wrong, but as you've come into our church family and come on staff with us, right, and you're part of a, a community that is uh, a ministry and a, an organization that has made Gate City Church its home, Freedom March, woo woo, wherever y'all are. And in some ways, this has been, from what I understand, the first church we've in, in that decade, you've kind of visited other churches, been a part, but this is, this is the place that you've come to know as home, right? Yes. And would you say that's the, this is the first place we said, this is going to be my home for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I would say that this place has become definitely a home to me and a place where I feel really comfortable inviting people who I've counseled and worked with and mentored to come here to really be loved and to really grow in the knowledge of God So, identity. So as you've made this church your home and you're speaking to your spiritual family today as a place that is receiving those that you're bringing out of the lifestyle and different lifestyles to be ministered to, I wanted to give you an opportunity to just speak to, from a cultural standpoint, what do you think the most important thing is for our church to know, for your family to know about how to partner with you in your ministry and helping people walk out of sexual brokenness and sin? I think that culturally as a church as a body that it is important that we are not we see all the changes happening in the world and it can cause us to be fearful and afraid um, but we cannot that cannot be our motivation to speak up about these topics or to minister to people about these topics because if we are motivated by fear we can actually begin to shun people and push them away when those are the very souls that the Lord is drawing near to his heart so that he can do a work in their lives so that they can impact the generation to come and so I feel like for us as a body, it's important for us to be motivated by love and motivated by compassion so that, and compassion looks like, hey, can I go get coffee with you instead of me judging you and holding you afar out of protection? Does that make sense? Instead of me like, I'm, not, I'm gonna stay apart. It's actually, let me connect with you to see because a lot of people who come have stories and backgrounds and been victimized and disregarded and some are raped and abused and different things. And so when you are fearful and feel like you have to protect, you're not actually providing a space for that person to come and get breakthrough when they can receive Jesus through your life, through what you, when you sit and sit with them at the table, they can hear the voice of the Lord through your life and you can minister to their story and draw them close to the Lord. And so I would say that we have to not be motivated by fear but motivated by compassion, motivated by love to bring these people in, to sit with them. Just like Jesus, he sat with sinners. That's our job as well. There's a Bible verse. I can't reference exactly where it is. I think it's in the epistles of John, but the idea that he that is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And I think when we, when we get into fear, it's because we fail to believe that. So it, I feel like you just gave us a really powerful exhortation, but can you make it very practical for us? Like where, where are the points where, you know, you might, where are the points where you feel like maybe you've been, probably not here, but in other environments, been responded to with, with fear or someone kind of holding you at a distance because of something about your journey that they don't understand? And what does it look like to do the opposite? Make it real practical for okay. us. I think I'm going to do my best. Praise God. <laughs> Just give us real talk. Like talk um, to it. Talk I to think us. people see me and they perceive me and they look at me and they don't see the man that I am because they pay attention to my exterior. And so that may cause them to be afraid to invite me in that I can just be another brother to you another friend, another man to you, but you, instead you judge me or you perceive me by how I look, about my fashion, about how I express myself. Just because those things are different, those things don't define me as a man. And so what we have to do, I feel like practically, is embrace your brothers who are different than you. Embrace your sisters who may not want to, you know, they want to fix a car and they want to play basketball. Like they're still your sisters, you know? And so practically, I would say, like I said before, take them out, get to know them, embrace them, love on them. That's great. Thank you. And another point, sorry. <laughs> I think that is really good is that we can't, we have to remove the hierarchy of sin that we've created amongst the body. Because there's people who come into church and they feel like a homosexual is the worst sin when that's not the case. Everybody who creates sin, God hates sin. 
It doesn't matter what it looks like. He hates sin. And so we all are deserving of the same grace, of the same blood, and the same attention to Jesus. So, Dustin, I think that segues well into what you wanted to say from a biblical standpoint on the subject of sexuality. Yeah, I, I just want to say I just respect this man so much. So it's... it's I was, we were, we went out to lunch a month or so ago, and I'm sitting at a restaurant, and we're setting this conversation. I'm thinking, in what universe would somebody like me be sitting at a table like somebody like him, right, from his background, his situation, my background, my situation, and enjoying each other's company and having fun? You know what that is? That's the cross of Jesus. That's transformation. Come on. Right, that's the body of Christ. That's, that's just what he does, right? It's so amazing. So I respect this man tremendously. Love you, brother. I love you too. I love you, brother. So I was, you know, at risk of anybody saying, well, we don't be part of a church that goes light on sin. No, we don't want to go light on sin. There, I mean, there are specific sins in the Bible, lists of sin. You can read about one in Galatians chapter 6. gives a pretty robust list of sins you know, that are, in, that are in the Bible, that are like clear, that we can't negotiate on, that, that are real, and God hates those things. But the truth is, what we want to understand the Bible teaches us is not to spend time just cursing the darkness, but we're called to bring the light. You see? We don't want to be defined as a people that all we do is curse the darkness, denunciate the darkness. We're called to be people that bring the light and bring truth. I believe if we spent more time bringing the light as our primary mission, rather than denunciating the darkness, we might just be a little bit more effective. In other words, we need to be known more for what we're for than what we're against, right? When we're known for what we're for, it clearly shows us, then, of course, the things that we are against. It's inherent to the gospel, if all we do is present a gospel that's basically a denunciation and a condemnation against sin, we've not presented the gospel. How do you know this, right? We don't be known for what we're against, what we're for. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave us his begotten son. You see, that's what the gospel is. And when we present what God is for, then what that matriculates into is a whole list of things that I'm against because I'm for this. And I believe that's the heart posture of Jesus. That's how he flowed. That's how he operated with publicans and sinners and adulterers. We find the ministry of Jesus replete with examples of bringing the love to the most unloved, the most outcast of society in three years of continuous ministry. And I believe what he said, if you didn't pick up on this, it's worth kind of picking up on this. If we live from a place of fear and we're operating in fear of sin or fear of being polluted by sin, then we are going to in turn be very, we will operate in protection. We have to protect ourselves, protect our family in an unhealthy way. We're not called to live in fear that causes us to have to protect. We're called to live in love, which causes us to risk. To risk. To love is to risk, but it's so worth it. To love son is to risk. To love anyone that's in difficulty is to risk. So I would like to believe that I'm right in this point, that the Bible is clear, that we are to be a people who bring light. And when we, when we bring the light, it takes care of darkness on its own rather than just completely speaking against darkness. And so that brings us to a great opportunity that we have as a church. If you want to put that graphic up, Matthew, for Freedom March, you know, a lot of churches, the way they, they respond in a robust and clear way and in a public way is some churches decide to go out and picket pride events and put signs up, you know, homosexuals are going to hell or whatever the thing is. We decided uh, to partner with Freedom March and actually have our own event that proclaims the light and doesn't just condemn the darkness. And so we are going to do this Freedom March, October 25th. The, I'm sorry, I can't 29th. see the graphic there. 29th? Help me get it right. Yeah, October 29th. 29th, all right. October 29th, which I think is the weekend of Halloween, right? And so the weekend of Halloween, when there's massive celebration of darkness in our city, we are going to testify and prophesy over Atlanta 
the freedom of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord brings freedom. Those who have come out of the lifestyle are going to be praying, sharing their testimony, and marching, declaring the goodness of God and what God has done in Piedmont Park, which is not just a stronghold in our city, that neighborhood in that area, but a stronghold in our nation of people who are living the lifestyle, the LGBTQ lifestyle. So we're going to go right to the heart of that place, a place where historically uh, the, the uh, gay pride event happens in our city, typically in Piedmont Park, and we're going to have a freedom march, and we want to invite everybody that's here to come out and be a part. So is there anything else you'd like to say about that? Um, I would just say everybody come out and be a part. That month is also coming out month, so we're going to be seeing a lot of people who are sharing their coming out stories, but we are going to also be sharing our coming out stories coming out to Jesus. <laughs> and so we want everybody to come out there and to celebrate and join us as we really go forward and take this movement to to the front lines of people, we're going into the heart of the city where they, they literally have a rainbow crosswalk and we're going there to boldly declare that freedom is possible and that Jesus saves and he heals and he delivers. So everybody join. It's great. I wanna to go to Rolando next and you'll be the last one because we wanna leave time for those baptisms. We're at 1142 and that'll give us, I think, five minutes to do the baptisms and close the service. And I'm not exactly sure how all that's gonna happen. So we're gonna all find out together here in a moment. They're just gonna dive right in. They're just gonna dive in. Okay, <laughs> awesome. But Rolando, could you speak as a father of teenage, yeah. teenagers, a youth, the person leading our youth, just how you responded to this conversation, and you had a few things you wanted yeah, to share real, with us. Yeah, real, real briefly, so I've, uh, I've had the pleasure to work in youth ministry now 20 plus years, I think. Um, and when I was a teenager, it was talks about maybe somebody is gay. When I started serving in youth ministry, it turned into, yes, they are, deal with it. And then today's youth, the gambit of um, sexual confusion, it's so wide. And if you've ever worked with youth ministry, we all, if you don't, if you've never had to work with youth ministry, what's the one thing you want to teach youth ministry? Uh, identity. Identity. And which is the number one question young people are trying to figure out about themselves. They're no longer being dressed. They're dressing themselves, figuring out their own philosophies. And so to my point in saying that is that these things that are happening in the public view as adults, we need to understand that, there's, that the enemy is having just a whirlwind of a time with our young ones. And we can tell them righteous living and from afar, or we can show them righteous living in love. Um, and so to that point, I want to share, like even my own children, as we sit down with my own kids, you know, we have these conversations. It's something Hazen said that really stuck out to me, which is like, that is so true. Sometimes the church, we fall into oversimplifying things and just saying, that's wrong, and then we turn away. But we don't actually talk to somebody and go, what does that actually look like today in school for you? and allowing a teenager to actually share and not walk away with just a overall theming arc, uh, a conversation. Because I, when I heard we were talking about this, said, we've got to tell people to listen to your message, Hazen. Like that, me that message was right on point. And if you didn't hear it, or if you heard it, I want to encourage you to listen to it again. It gives you such good insight on how to approach the conversation. So on my last closing thought here is actually, uh, I've asked Son if he wouldn't mind to come and share tonight in 212 at our high school ministry. So if you're, if you're a parent of a teenager or you're a parent yourself, I wanna welcome you to come tonight at 212 at 6 p.m. as um, son is gonna be talking, addressing his own testimony and addressing some questions amongst our teenagers. And then Ash, so something that's really important that everyone in our church needs to understand is we, are, we typically on these serious issues, we don't have a mentality of one and done. Meaning we're not going to talk about it some Sunday and then just drop the conversation. And so we have a few ways that we plan on the subjects of race and sexuality to keep these important cultural issues in front of us as we grow in creating an environment that is both biblical and compassionate. So throw a few of those next step ideas out. Yeah. So um, Hazen and um, Josh Clemens wrote a book called No Own Change. And so we're going to do a community group related to that. So you'll be able to look out for that coming up in the next couple coming months. It's a content-based book where we'll just have some small group discussion that's already happening within our staff now, but that we're going to extend to the rest of our spiritual family here in the near future for the, but for the ability for us to be able to come together and really talk about these topics and how to know the story, how to own the story, and then how we can change the story in a community group. And then we're having a seminar in September 
um, where we're going to be discussing identity, and Son is going to lead that, as well as our pastoral team will be there as well, too. And we're just going to have some conversations in our spiritual family around these topics, because we don't want to shy away from them. We want to move forward with them in love together and not move in fear, but we want to um, be able to be proactive in that. Awesome. So we want to close, actually, by just inviting our whole spiritual family to stand together. And I'm going to ask my wife to actually pray for us. And I want to invite us just to consecrate ourselves before the Lord to be a community of both conviction biblically and compassion in heart, that we would embody the very things that we've talked about today. So just posture yourself before the Lord, and by the grace of God, let's make a commitment to be a family that doesn't shy away from these subjects, but engages them with both biblical courage, conviction, and compassion. So, Father, as we leave from here this morning, God, we ask that you would search our hearts, Lord, that you would know us, that you would examine our, help us to see, God, that you would examine us, that we would see places of fear, God, places of holding back, resistances in our own soul, Lord. We just invite your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Your word is truth, Lord. Come and minister to us, Lord, how to extend open-hearted, compassionate love to those who are different from us, cross-culturally, in different lifestyles. God, I pray that we would not let truth trump love and that we would not let love trump truth, but we would hold the balance of speaking the truth and love that we would come to maturity as a body and that we would truly be your light to the darkness, God, to the world around us. Release your light through us, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.